0: The British TV podcast with Chrissy and Ryan. News, reviews, what's on TV this week, DVD releases, and special features all about British TV.
1: Hello and welcome to the British TV podcast, show number 49.
0: We're getting there.
1: Yeah, we're getting old. I'm Ryan in Seattle.
0: I'm Chrissy in Seattle.
1: How you doing Chrissy? Good, how are you? I'm good. What'd you do over Labor Day?
0: Oh, golly. I chopped up vegetables with my mother because we're trying to eat lots more vegetables and uh, watched a bunch of telly, petted my cats. They both seem to want extra affection rations this weekend. And
1: They sense the summer is changing.
0: Did some shopping online for nice winter clothing and that's about it.
1: Anything stick out of TV highlights over the week?
0: Well, I watched the latest *Miss Marple*, which I liked, and then I went back and rewatched one from a while ago, that had some people in it who I've been enjoying lately, like Russell Tovey and Benedict Cumberbatch, and showed my mother the ten years younger British version because she had seen the American, and she was kind of appalled because quite often people here in the American version have a bit of whitening done on their teeth. And sometimes they do have some serious teeth problems, but nothing like these poor two ladies who were both wearing partials and dentures and bridges. And one of them needed four teeth extracted because they were so rotted. And she was just kind of stunned by that because I don't know when you travel in England, I know I I stick to larger cities mostly, but I didn't notice the horrific teeth. Did you?
1: I stayed with a family once in Lincoln, Mm -hmm. and I was really impressed with how nice their teeth were until we bought some fudge and they took their teeth out to eat it. They both had false teeth.
0: There was a trend where people were kind of being sold the, uh, I guess, the myth that they should have Hollywood smiles, and a lot of people were getting all their teeth taken out in dentures until they collectively wised up and stopped doing that. But... Both of these ladies had just dreadful, horrible teeth. And they said they'd really... Neither of them had gone to the dentist in years. And they talked about what, for a certain generation, both these ladies were, you know, about 50 years old. There's there's a lot of fear of the dentist over there. Hmm. But, yeah, one of them had um, knocked out a tooth accidentally at 17 and just saw, oh, well. And the others fell out. So she had dentures at the age of 52. It was... That she'd had for a long time. So, yeah, the teeth. Other than that, the show was pretty similar to what you'd see in the U.S. I did stay once. Rick Steves had put a notice for absolutely the cheapest room in London. I stayed there, and it was very cheap. It was something like 10 pounds a night. This was in the late 90s. That is cheap. Right, but I've noticed he's left that out of the book now, and it was pretty dingy, but what really I could take a lot. I really could. I can go down market pretty well. But the husband of the woman who was running, renting out her spare rooms, I don't think he had ever flossed his teeth in his life. And it was horrifying. <laughs> he didn't want to talk to him because he would open his mouth. So, but that was just a rare example. Usually, I don't really notice any bad dentistry habits when I'm out and about in London. But there sure are a couple of people who fall guilty of that on 10 years younger.
1: Well, on TV, they're going to find yeah. probably the most horrific subjects to make them the contrast. Make them gorgeous, stand yeah. up, yes. Well, this week's show we have reviews, news, what's on British TV this week, shows running in the United States, DVD releases, and a profile of writer David Renwick. All right. Well, some reviews. The first is The King is Dead. This BBC3 celebrity panel show hosted by Simon Bird is an anarchic cousin to shooting stars in that three guest stars do goofy stunts and answer nonsensical questions all for a dubious reward. In the first episode, done with a very particular American theme, the president is dead and James Corden, Sarah Beanie, and Peaches Geldof compete to become the new president of the United States. Each week, another high-profile job holder is killed off, so there's a different theme each week, like Santa or police chief. A betting bird are Nick Mohammed and Katie Wicks.
2: The
3: perfect answer for, for Mr Corden. <laughs> Genuinely um,
4: brilliant. James, describe your management style. Um, strict. Yeah, good. Harsh.
2: Um, but fair?
4: No. Not. Fair. <laughs> I would be firm, but unfair. And I think that's in keeping with a lot of American presidents. <laughs> So, now, um,
3: us Americans are infamous for our lawsuits. If you become an American citizen, James, you should sue Ricky Gervais for copying all your mannerisms. (laughs) (laughs) There's one. one. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, uh, it's a big issue over here. Where do you stand on the abortion debate? (laughs) (laughs)
2: Oh, God! I'd rather prefer the Ricky question. (laughs)
1: You have to appreciate the changing art direction, costuming, and little skits which are interspersed throughout, which does attempt to liven up the rather shop worn celebrity panel format. The King is Dead is certainly inventive. Hopefully they can keep the pace up, although mainly it's aimed at people who like and can put up with noisy, goofy game shows. Hmm. Does that sound like something you might check out?
0: No. You know what? I only saw one episode of was the British Thank God You're Here. Did you see any of those? No with Paul Merton hosting, that was a whose-line-is-it-anyway sort of improv show. And it sounds a little bit like this one.
1: It's not. It's a panel thing where the okay. panelists ask the guests specific questions. They're holding cards with the name of the show on the back of the card.
0: Um okay.
1: They did actually very have a very elaborate you know, set that was looked like the Oval Office, and presumably next week they'll have a completely different set. Hmm. So, you know, it wasn't done cheap, even though it was BBC3. The second series is Shelf Stackers, and this snuck up on me, premiering as it did on a Saturday at 12.50 in the afternoon on BBC2. But better a slot on terrestrial TV during daytime than on a digital channel at night. Four young slackers work at a supermarket in this low-key character comedy. Each has their little foibles, like Dan, who has a mirror face he can't resist looking at himself in a mirror. Alyssa is an inspiring model Dan fancies, who is smarter than she appears but wants to get on telly. Fitzy has way too much in common with their laid-back manager, Roy, and Danny likes goofing off. I oh, Fitzy. What?
5: Can you see how shiny this magazine is?
6: How shiny is that magazine, Danny?
5: This shiny! <laughs> yeah,
6: alright, yeah. Laugh it up. Nice. Yeah, this is a condition. Yeah. Alright, you're laughing at my conditions.
5: Vanity isn't a condition, you bird.
4: Yeah, is that what your mum told you? Okay, guys, listen up. This is a bit weird, but... Melissa's had to go next door to the doctors on account of one side of her face sagging. Sagging? Dropping. Dropping? You know... paralysis. (gasps) See, I didn't want to use that word. It's only temporary. How? It's from stress, apparently. It's called something
6: balls. 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 Bell's palsy. Yeah, my cousin had it. Apparently, it's quite common in people that work in supermarkets. Oh,
4: no. Well, this is all my fault, innit? Well, normally, I'd say it's not about blame, but... Yeah, this is all pretty much your fault. Anyway, she'll be coming back in in a minute. I want us to be ultra-sensitive, you know? We don't want to make it worse, you know? It won't last forever, but until then, I just want us to act really, really natural, OK? Oh. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> it, it wasn't the palsy. It, it, it was just sudden entrance. <laughs> it just startled us, that's all. <laughs> you're, you're still gorgeous. <laughs> Isn't she gorgeous, guys? Oh, okay. okay. yeah. yeah.
2: gorgeous.
3: Don't feel sorry for me, guys. You know, it's only temporary. It's still
1: caught on this side. Meanwhile, Roy conducts personality tests better suited for espionage work than impressing the head office. Shelf Stackers is shot single-camera film-style without a laugh track, and the characters have the potential to go somewhere without being stuck forever in the same loser track that many sitcoms resign their protagonists to.
2: Hmm.
0: Well, that sounds more interesting to me than The King is Dead. I might check that out.
1: And finally, there's Him and Her. Ugh. This Russell Toby vehicle was more like a one-act play than a situation comedy. Shot like a film, but in a very claustrophobic apartment, Toby plays Steve who mostly wants to have sex with his girlfriend Becky. But interruptions in the form of creepy neighbour Dan and Becky's sister Laura keep getting in the way.
4: All right, Dan. Morning, campers. This got put through my door. All right, great. Becky stayed over last night?
6: Yeah, her parents got people
3: staying, so... over, dare I ask? Yeah, A bit. She's fine. She does that film where she has an egg before bed, so she doesn't get hungover.
4: Oh, right, yeah. so... Why could she do that?
3: What? What's that? She... She doesn't get hangover.
4: That's good. Yeah. What she do? Are
1: you taking the piss? No, i just being chatty,
4: <laughs> making conversation.
1: <laughs> what well then? Steve is the kind of feckless guy who's afraid of spiders and goes mental when he discovers that Becky hasn't flushed the toilet. He also can't keep a secret. I felt I was watching an episode of Pete vs. Life, waiting for the commentators to bet on when Steve would tell Laura her boyfriend had cheated on her, which he does. I'm not sure I'm in the mood right now for another slice-of-life series like The Royal Family, where nothing much happens. We just witness the rather shallow, lazy characters living their lives. I suspect you're going to wait for this to do its entire run, and then... No,
0: I'll watch it and see if I like it, and then I would download more.
1: Well, I'll be curious to have your opinion, because I know you love Russell Tovey. He's cute. And whether or not you want to see him in kind of this odd, domestic sitcom. So let me know when you watch it. Okay. News... The Stig is sacked. Following on in a few weeks ago when the mystery driver from the Top Gear was going to go public with an autobiography, co-host Jeremy Clarkson announced that Ben Collins, the Stig, has been sacked from the program. Clarkson hinted that the Stig as a character may no longer continue on Top Gear, saying, quote, Trust me, we have many, many thousands of people queuing up to be whatever it is we create. Hmm. Yeah, the BBC tried to get an injunction against him friend the book coming out and that failed and so he's gone Mm, okay dreams do come true the team of david mitchell lauren laverne charlie brooker and jimmy carr have been signed up by channel four for a topical comedy series following the success of their alternative election night special earlier this year the new series to be called 10 o'clock live will have 15 episodes to start beginning in 2011 I saw about two or three hours of the alternative lecture night. It was uh, pretty entertaining. Yeah. I have
0: to say, David Mitchell's turning into Stephen Fry in terms of how many projects he manages to accomplish. He just kind of work, work, works, doesn't he?
1: Plus he writes a column. He does a video column where he kind of does a little diatribe about various topics. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Yeah. He's a busy guy, but strike while the iron is hot. So that should be a cool show to check out. Of course, we all remember the 11 o'clock show, mm-hmm. which went through various incarnations and eventually became a big vehicle for Sasha Baron Cohen and Ali G. Yep,
0: and Ricky Gervais as well.
1: Yes. I don't remember any of his appearances at all. I'll have to go back and dig them out. Yep. And Sky TV has announced some new original productions as it ramps up its drama output next year. This includes Neverland, a Peter Pan origin story starring Reese Iffens as the young Captain Hook. Anna Friel as his rival Captain Bonnie, and Bob Hoskins reprising his role as Smee from Spielberg's Hook. It's a co-production with the U.S. Sci-Fi Channel. Sky wants to do at least three event shows each year as original programs, they say. So let's see what they come up with next. (laughs) What's on TV for the week of September 8th to the 14th? Tons of things. The new season has fallen upon us, both in the United States and in England. So a lot more things this week than last week. Wednesday, Bang Goes the Theory is back on BBC One. The Open University magazine series conducts fun ex- scientific experiments, often with everyday objects.
0: The unforgettable Molly Sugden is on ITV One. The comedian who died last year was best known for Are You Being Served? And David Williams was her bridesmaid. If you watch season one of Little Britain, there was a character whose whole claim to fame was that she had been Molly Sugden's bridesmaid. And then in the last episode of the series, Molly Sugden happened to be dining in the same restaurant and didn't recognize her at all and was saying, no, 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 well, my bridesmaid was and then fell over dead because the Walhams had thrown a fork at her from across the room to silence her. They killed Molly Sutton? Yes, and revealing that she was really not her bridesmaid after all.
1: (laughs) That's pretty good. Yeah. Waterloo Road continues on BBC One Wednesday.
0: A new Midsummer Murders mystery with John Nettles, Blood in the Saddle. Ew. is on ITV One.
1: Kind of a western theme. Yeah. Darren Brown, Hero at 30,000 Feet, is a live special on Channel 4. Apparently, he will attempt to get a civilian to safely land a jet plane. At least that's what the traitor looked like. We did a feature on Illusionist Aaron Brown in show 35.
0: ITV1 has Words of the Blitz, with actors like Sheila Hancock and Russell Tovey reading letters and diaries from people who were in London during World War II. Oh, I gotta watch that. I, I've been to the World War II section of the Imperial War Museum many, many times in my travels. I love stuff set in that era. So, yeah.
1: Oh, this is the 70th anniversary, so mm-hmm. that's why there's so many Blitz and World War II-related programs this week. Thursday, Channel 4 has a new series, Alan Davis's Teenage Revolution, a three-part documentary about his growing up in the 1980s. The 1980s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we did a feature on Alan Davis back in show 28. It's hard to think about the fact that if you actually made Back to the Future today and he went back in a DeLorean or whatever the modern equivalent is to 30 years, it would be 1980. That to today's kids is as far back as 1955 was to us when Back to the Future was made. It's
0: actually a website, an 11 point list where they, he did two lists, one on what back to two and three got right and what they got wrong for their predictions of the future. Well, who's got this website? I'll send it to you. It's not British TV, but it's funny, so we will Oh, we might it put there. a link to it yeah. in our
1: show notes there, because I'm, I'm a big fan of Back to the Future, and I'm waiting for the flying cars, which we'll have in five years.
0: So Law in Order UK is back for its third season on ITV1 with Jamie Bamber, Bill Patterson, and Freema Agamon. So is that why she wasn't in the Torchwood Children of Earth? Because they set it up for her at the end of the Doctor Who season that she might be joining Torchwood, and I had read somewhere that the part, there was a part written for her, and they had to rewrite it for to make her the aide of, well, there was um, Peter Capaldi's character and his crusty old secretary, and then the young hotshot who they, Torchwood, right. that was actually supposed to be Freema Hagerman oh. originally, but she had gotten a better deal to be a series regular with the show. So. Well, this is
1: the series that she's in, so yeah, because yeah. she popped up in the very first episode of Survivors, mm-hmm. and they killed her off. But yeah, she probably was filming Law in Order UK. Mock the Week is back on BBC Two. They took some time off for the Edinburgh Festival.
0: 8 Out of 10 Cats is on Channel 4. The new series kicks off with a Big Brother special featuring a countdown of the nation's favorite Big Brother moments and a wealth of ex-housemates from across the years.
1: Because that series is finally wrapping up forever over there. Yeah. Celebrity Juice is back on ITV2, a panel show with team captains Holly Willoughby and Fern Cotton, alongside regular panelist Rufus Hound. Together with their celebrity guests, they battled out to prove who knows the most about the latest showbiz news and gossip.
2: The
0: King is Dead continues on BBC3 this week looking for a new chief of police.
1: Friday, those of you who missed Doctor Who at the Proms on Monday on BBC Three, here's another chance, and better yet, this version is 90 minutes long. Geek out on the great Murray Gold music from the series and monsters running about, Albert Hall.
0: After a million repeats, New Tricks is back with new episodes on BBC One. The police comedy drama stars Amanda Redman and Dennis Waterman, whom we profiled back in show 33.
1: Yes, I had to check to make sure these actually were new episodes because the BBC has been filling every hour slot it's had for the past six months with repeats of new (laughs) tricks. And apparently they've been doing very well in the ratings. So no doubt these same episodes will be shown many times too. ITV1 has Paul O'Grady live with the Camp Comedian hosting a variety show featuring guests Tom Jones and Spellbound.
0: Roger and Val have just got in, concludes on BBC2.
1: No Pete vs. Life this week because of Big Brother. Would I Lie to You on BBC One has guests John Bishop, Joanna Page, Patsy Palmer, and Chris Addison.
0: Saturday, Shelf Stackers, that Ryan just profiled, continues at 12.50 in the afternoon
1: on BBC Two. The third season of Merlin begins on BBC One Saturday at 7.25 with more fantasy adventures starring Colin Morgan, Anthony Head, and Richard Wilson. And the Sci-Fi Channel in the U.S. will show these in early 2011.
0: On Sunday, ITV1 has a good lineup tonight, starting with David Jason, the Battle of Britain, commemorating the 70th anniversary of the Second World War Battle.
1: And it's followed by Heartbeat, which has its final episode ever.
0: And then David Jason is back with Albert's Memorial on ITV1. The black comedy-drama TV movie is about two World War II veterans taking a dying friend to Germany.
1: Monday, Who Do You Think You Are? is on BBC One and looks at the family of Alan Cumming.
0: Grandma's House concludes on BBC Two.
1: The Inbetweeners returns to E4, the comedy starring Simon Bird about four clueless schoolboys who this week get involved in a disastrous fashion show.
0: ITV One continues the drama Bouquet of Barbed Wire. Him and Her with Russell Tovey continues on BBC Three. The sketch series School of Comedy returns to E4 with the gimmick of kids playing adult parts. Have you seen that? Nope.
1: Yeah, it's apparently the second season of it. I'll have to see what it's all about. Mm. And Tuesday, Ideal with Johnny Vegas continues on BBC Three.
0: Channel 4 continues, This is
1: England 86. In the United States, on BBC America, Saturday, the second season of Being Human continues, and Graham Norton.
0: Top Gear and James May's Toy Stories are on Monday.
1: The Independent Film Channel concludes the new season of The IT Crowd on Tuesday.
0: On Adult Swim on Friday night, there is The Mighty Boosh at 1 a.m., and it's followed by Garth Marenghi's Dark Place.
1: On PBS's Masterpiece Mystery on Sunday, there's new episodes of Lewis. DVD releases. Prime Suspect, the complete series. Clatterford, season three, is better known in Britain as Jam and Jerusalem. Jennifer Saunders' series set in a rural village. I never got into this series, but some folks, like guest host Howard, was a big fan. Doctor Who, The Creature from the Pit, this Tom Baker story from 1979 comes from one of the most maligned periods in the series history when the lead actor's jokey approach seemed to be overwhelming everything. But Baker certainly didn't need it much help when the aforementioned creature in the story was realized as a giant gas bag resembling a male member. Strictly for completionists, I wouldn't recommend this serial as an introduction to the classic series or Tom Baker.
0: Sounds kind of interesting, though.
1: I'll loan it to you if you want to see it, but (laughs) you've been warned.
0: More Doctor Who, The King's Demons, a short two-part 1983 adventure with Peter Davison and a mystery villain who is no mystery if you look at the cover of the DVD.
1: So, spoilers. Our PBS station has pledged this episode a million times because it's very convenient to have a Mm two-parter when they're doing them. And Planet of Fire, the penultimate Peter Davison Doctor Who episode from nineteen eighty-four, which saw the introduction of American Companion Perry and location work on Lanzarote. Quarry? No, Lanzarote is an oh. island. Oh, okay. Very beautiful island. They were able to shoot beaches and then it has interesting volcanic things, and it really looks like oh, an alien planet. Cool. So it was a you know Doctor Who grows abroad, and they really made good use of the location.
0: Last of the Summer Wine, Vintage 1985. Episodes from 25 years ago of the long-running Roy Clark comedy, which ended just last month.
1: Back when they were all young guys. (laughs) They were still old back then. Pie in the Sky, Series 3. Richard Griffiths, he's Uncle Dursley from the Harry Potter movies, plays a police detective who also runs a restaurant. This 1995 season combines two great British TV genres, police and cookery shows. You ever seen Pine in the Sky? No. I couldn't believe it when I saw it. I thought it was a gag, like on Elast Smith and Jones. And it was a real proper series. Mm-hmm.
0: Skins, Volume 3, the popular cult youth series from Channel 4. I say I might
2: as well face the
3: truth But I am just too long in the tooth
1: Our feature this week is on writer David Renwick.
3: down One foot in the grave
1: Eric Idle there singing the theme tune to One Foot in the Grave, one of the classic series written by David Renwick. He also created Jonathan Creek and Love Soup, which have displayed his trademark clever, intricate plotting. David Renwick was part of a writing team in his early career, along with Andrew Marshall. In the late 1970s and early 80s, they were contributors to Not the Nine O'Clock News and The Two Ronnies. One of their most famous sketches ever is the Two Ronnies Mastermind sketch, a very ingenious bit of writing. You'll get the idea quickly enough.
7: And so to our first contender. Good evening, your name please. Uh, good evening. Your, question, your chosen subject was answering questions before they were asked. This time, you have chosen to answer the question before last each time. Is that correct, Charlie Smithers?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
7: and your time starts now. What is paleontology? Yes, absolutely correct.
2: correct.
7: <laughs> What's the name of the directory that lists members of the peerage? A study of old fossils. <laughs> okay. Who are Len Murray and Sir Geoffrey Howe? Burks. <laughs> Correct. What is the difference between a donkey and an ass? Uh, one's a trade union, leader, the other's a member of the cabinet. <laughs> Complete the quotation, to be or not to be? They're both the same.
2: Correct. <laughs> what
7: is Bernard Manning famous for? That is the question. <laughs> Correct. Who is the present Archbishop of Canterbury? He is a fat man who tells blue jokes. <laughs> Correct. What do people kneel on in church? The Right Reverend Robert Ransom. What do tarantulas pray on? Hassocks. Correct. What would you use a ripcord to pull open? Large flies. <coughs> what sort of a person lived in bedlam? A parachute. Correct. What is a jockstrap? A nutcase. <laughs>
1: Ronnie Corbett and Ronnie Barker spoofing mastermind. That sketch had originally appeared on a Radio 4 program, The Burkes Way, that Renwick and Marshall had written. The Burkes Way was adopted for ITV in 1979 as End of Part 1. They also contributed to Spike Milligan's There's a Lot of It About and Alexi Sale's stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I was a big fan of stuff. I... I
0: was too. I knew him because of the young ones, but they were showing stuff the, the very first when he was... I'm the kind of guy who will never settle down where he's where the handsome man is in the convertible and then Oh that's right he gets up made up, up to look like a sale. Yeah.
1: That's right. And
0: then who's that fat bastard? Um <laughs> I those were on very early I think I saw them on Annie. Really? And I had a friend at the time, they were showing on PBS station down in San Francisco and that's where he recorded them. So I had copies of them pretty early and so they're they're at some of my earliest British comedy in my collection, his stuff.
1: I didn't realize it had been shown over here. Yeah. That was good. I thought it showcased Sale's style of humor really well. Yeah, that was another program that uh, David Renwick and Andrew Marshall worked on. In 1982, they wrote Whoops Apocalypse for ITV, a satire about global nuclear destruction. Peter Jones, John Cleese, Barry Morris, and Jeffrey Palmer starred in this farce where the British Prime Minister at one point thinks his dog has superpowers and chucks him out the window saying, time for your walkies, crypto! Crypto! Whoop's Apocalypse was remade as a movie a few years later with Rick Mayle and Peter Cook. I had a copy of it at one time. I know I showed it at a convention once, but I must have given it away. I don't have it anymore.
0: Billy Connolly, too, I think. Oh, yeah. I've seen
1: little clips of it here and there, but not the whole thing. In 1983, Renwick and Marshall wrote the anthology comedy parody, The Steam Video Company. PBS ran these back in the day, which featured episodes such as Creature from the Black Forest Ghetto and... Amityville 2, Luton Town 3. I remember being greatly amused by these, very much in the ripping yarns vein of comedy. In 1986, they wrote Hot Metal, a parody about the tabloid newspaper business. Jeffrey Palmer plays Harry Stringer, the long suffering editor of the Daily Crucible, that is taken over by Robert Hardy as an unscrupulous media lord. Hardy also played the dual role as the new editor installed as Harry's boss, Russell Spam. But Harry must take the heat for each public relations fiasco the new regime is behind, and he begins to wonder why he never sees his two bosses together in the same room. Meanwhile John Gordon Sinclair plays an enterprising reporter who finds himself on a real story.
3: And welcome back on this morning of uh, utter news sensation. I think we can actually talk now to the executive managing editor of The Crucible, Mr. Harold Springer, who's uh, currently in custody at Highbury Police <laughs> on charges of seditious libel. <laughs> Can you hear me, Mr Springer? Uh, yes. Hello, Nick. Good morning. Mr Springer, are you having second thoughts at all now about the wisdom of calling the Prime Minister's wife a murderer? Um, no, I stand by the story. You're you're still confident, are you, that your reporters have got it right and that uh, you won't, say, spend the next ten years of your life behind bars in Parkhurst?
4: Yes, I'm totally confident. And
3: uh, let me just say this, Nick. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Though we seem I'm uh, afraid, to have lost Mr. Springer there, but we have been joined now by the proprietor of the Crucible, Mr. Terence Rathburn. Mr. Rathblen, good morning to you. <laughs> now, I gather the first that you heard this quite astonishing story was when you got up this morning. It ill behoves me to lay down the law to the press of this country, Nick. <laughs> but I'm not ashamed to confess that I wept over my rat brand fiber-rich breakfast flakes. <laughs> to see so fine and well-loved a national figure pilloried and defiled for the sake of cheap sensationalism it's it's uh, shabby tabloid journalism in its worst form and shabby tabloid journalism is the tongue down the back of the throat in the kiss of death <laughs> With it, and I utterly dissociate. Sorry, wh- I'll just have to stop you there for a moment, Mr. Appo. We've just got some news coming in at the moment, in fact, uh, that just a few moments ago, Mrs. McNamara broke down in tears and admitted that every word of the story is, in fact, true. Now, the Prime Minister has gone off to uh, see the Queen, <laughs> and MPs are calling for an emergency vote of no confidence in the government. And you still dismiss the crucial story, even after this. <laughs> the, the crucible story. <laughs> I thought we were talking about the front page of this morning sun.
1: <laughs> the second season continued without Palmer or Sinclair, with Richard Wilson taking over. Although Palmer returned in a special 15-minute 1989 comic relief episode. Hot Metal had a catchy theme tune. I thought. <laughs> In 1990, David Renwick began his solo writing career and hit a home run the first time with One Foot in the Grave. Richard Wilson stars as grumpy retiree Victor Meldrew, with Annette Crosby as his long-suffering wife and Angus Deaton as the next-door neighbor. Victor has been forced into involuntary early retirement, and the sitcom chronicled his attempts to keep busy and out of trouble, mostly without luck. It made a huge star out of Richard Wilson, Although, as he told David Tennant in a Chain Reaction interview, initially he didn't want the part. He thought he was too young to play a retiree.
5: Switchboard operators say they're going to put you through and then leave you here to rot to death. (laughs) (laughs) Speak to you like an insect into the bargain. Hello! Yes! I don't know if you remember me, Victor Meldrew, the talking cockroach. <laughs> i wanted one of your jurors in jury service this week, and I was just ringing up to see if I'd be required again tomorrow, or I should... Sug- ah. Right, thank you then. Bye. Five days in the trot, I haven't even set foot inside a courtroom yet. You can't do anything else when you're on call. You can't organise anything, can't plan anything the I suppose you're going to keep that up all day now, are you, as well? I swear blindness, someone up there watching. Yes, I think I can just see Meldrew unwinding the flex in his lawnmower. Let's piss it down. <laughs> 101 things to do out there, and I'm stuck in here like the Prisoner of Zenda. <laughs>
1: David Renwick also gave Victor Meldrew one of TV's most famous sitcom catchphrases. At the moment when Victor would reach the climax of his exasperation at a series of events, he would utter his catchphrase, I don't believe it! You know, my sister
0: and her new boyfriend, she's been calming him. Although he's seen some of it. He grew up in South Africa, but they were watching Father Ted after Father Ted. after, And there is one episode where Fathers Ted and Dougal are on vacation and they see Richard Wilson as Richard Wilson just having a vacation. And one of them says, oh, I think I should go over to him and say, I don't believe it. And Father Dougal says to Father Ted, oh, that would be so funny. I think you should do that. No one's ever done that before. I bet he would really find that hysterical. So of course he goes over, scares the bejesus out of Richard Wilson, you know, by screeching, I don't believe it, at him, And Richard Wilson beats him up and (laughs) Great show. Great show.
1: It was all based on the writers actually having sat behind Richard Wilson at a play
2: Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: saying, we should say it. We should say it to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're thinking, wait, this is exactly what Father Dougal and Father Ted would do. Yep. And so they talked him into being in the show. Richard Wilson made an appearance on Shooting Stars, and (laughs) where Vic managed to mangle his catchphrase. Oh, good.
0: I didn't see that.
1: (laughs) Oh. One Foot in the Grave ran for six seasons and a number of specials, including the final one that saw Renwick killing off Victor Meldrew in a hit-and-run accident. Dark comedy was often a feature in this series, despite its often flirting with farce. It was remade as a vehicle for Bill Cosby called Cosby that ran in the 1990s, but you'd be hard-pressed to recognize much of the original series in the American remake.
0: I was always kind of tickled that, you know, Angus Deaton was the neighbor and so in the American version, the next-door neighbor was Madeline Kahn. So Madeline Kahn took over for Angus Deaton, which <laughs> I thought was very funny. In
1: 1993, David Renwick wrote the four-part series, If You See God, Tell Him. God, here is Richard Briers as Godfrey, the mentally incompetent father of a long-suffering dentist played by Adrian Edmondson. It seems Godfrey has suffered too many knocks to the noggin, and as a result, only has the attention span of 30 seconds just enough to absorb and believe everything he sees on television commercials. As a satire of the domestic unit, this series faltered. But as a parody of commercials and the contrast between their upbeat consumerism and harsh reality, it was brilliant. The ad parodies weren't bad either, slickly produced and just enough over the top. In the end, Godfrey retreats into a world of his own where everything is solved with a happy jingle and a convenient product. What we're left with wasn't so much sad as true. In 1997, David Renwick created Jonathan Creek about an eccentric inventor of magic tricks who solves mysteries. After offering the part to several actors, including Nicholas Lyndhurst, Rick Mayle, and Hugh Laurie, can you imagine Hugh Laurie as Jonathan Creek? <laughs> Stand-up comic Alan Davis was brought in to play the eponymous role. Carolyn Quentin, well-established from Men Behaving Badly, played Maddie, who often drafted Jonathan into the mysteries and be the sort of Watson to his Sherlock Holmes. Renwick's plots were genius, and as we've talked about before, in the early years at least, fiendishly clever, although the last few have been a bit easier to figure out. I
2: can't believe
7: we're doing this! On the basis of one hysterical phone call from some floozy you met at a party once! Especially as there was never anything between the two of you in the first place!
6: Look, can I ask, do you ever get this thing surfaced? How anyone could drive a car at this time of year without a proper windscreen washer? It's got a windscreen washer! Yeah, but it's not much use on the back seat, is it?
7: The guy who was going to fit it did a runner. It's not my fault. A bit of fresh air won't harm you. So, what's the story on this mother of hers? Morella Carney, the black canary. She was big business in her day, wasn't she?
6: The problem with Marella Carney is most of her tricks relied upon the fact she had a twin sister. That'd be ridiculous. Who, from what you hear, did all the difficult bits? Morella suffered from claustrophobia, so it was her sister had to go into all the cabinets and coffins. There's plenty of amazing stuff you can work with a double, but it's not exactly a test of ingenuity. You're
7: telling me there were two of them? They kept that quiet, didn't they? They're
6: hardly going to put it in the programme notes, are they? NB, whilst miraculously escaping from a locked trunk tonight, Miss Carney will be assisted by her twin sister, Beryl. Anyway, that was all before the accident, of course.
7: What accident?
6: Then? That's a bit on the grisly side, probably best not discuss.
7: What accident?
6: I don't know if you've got the stomach for it.
7: I've got the stomach? Don't give me that macho protective
2: number.
6: Rehearsal one day, one of their big routines, says the barrel's tied up to a bench with an electric buzzsaw coming at her. Mechanism jam. the thing just kept coming. She was literally sawn in half. Oh,
2: my God!
6: Lengthways. <laughs>
2: What are you doing? You have us the road.
7: Someone oh. oh. what the hell did you have to tell me that for? Oh, oh. with an electric bus! Oh that's done it for me now. I'm gonna have to sleep with the saucepan
2: between my legs.
1: Three seasons of Jonathan Creek were produced with Carolyn Quentin, and then a second assistant, played by Julia Sawala, was introduced when Maddie was shipped off to America during the fourth season. Mm -hmm. Two specials have since been made in the past two years, which co-starred Sheridan Smith as Joey Ross, Jonathan's reluctant assistant.
0: Yeah, and she's kind of interesting because she does what he does, except she loves seeking out the limelight, and he first becomes aware of her when she's talking about her ability to figure mysteries and things out on television. But then when they finally do meet in person, they have this admiration for one another, and they figure they might as well team up.
1: Well, all three women sort of profit from him, because Maddie wrote a book,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and then
1: Julia Savala's character was a producer of you know mystery shows, and so that worked out pretty well. Of course, she was married to Adrian Edmondson in the series, and then the new one... With Joey Ross. Yeah,
0: well, it's kind of funny that in one series she was playing J- Jennifer Saunders' daughter, and then in another she's married to Adrian Edmondson, who is Jennifer Saunders' real husband. But kind of funny there. Our
1: Julia has grown Julia up. Julia
0: has grown. Well, she can play
1: quite a range of ages. Let's. So I think she stopped playing teenagers though. Finally. Yeah. <laughs> These are not the only mysteries that David Renwick has written. He's also contributed episodes to Paro, starring David Suchet on ITV and PBS. In 2005, David Renwick wrote the comedy series Love Soup. This low-key, single-camera-style BBC comedy starred Black Book's Thames and Grig as a cosmetic counter-employee who is incredibly unlucky in love. Renwick demonstrated his talent for creating situations where some tiny bit of information or business at the beginning of an episode pays off in comedy gold near the end. Grigg was the perfect person to be at the center of it all. She wears her pain on the face like a younger female Woody Allen, yet she never gives up. Sorry, sorry,
7: everyone. My apologies.
6: What happened to you? None of the points failure.
7: What with that and the fact I have to come the long way round now on foot from the tube.
6: Why the long way round? Oh, because
7: last week, in you know all those gale force winds, a popper came come off my uniform and my dress blew up round my ears, and that was that, wasn't it? There is no way I can ever walk past that building site again if my life depended on it. Oh, I don't suppose they saw anything... I could have done three encores, Millie. Heckling me and catcalling and pole dancing up the scaffolding. I've never been so embarrassed. Anyway, what's going on here I should know about? But like diary
5: entries? I just pulled them off his computer this morning after he'd gone to work. Cause, I mean, I know he kept, like, this daily journal, so I was just curious to see what he'd said about us and everything.
7: Yeah, and look at the write-up he's given them. After a promising start, she now seems unable to find her form. Her tongue action lacked rhythm and commitment, and she squandered several early chances on her back. All in all, a very disappointing display. I mean, how dare he? I was giving it everything that night, and it doesn't make any allowance for the fact I was still getting over that groin strain, which was bound to affect things. And then, when I saw his report for last night... From start to finish, it was a scrappy affair. Her foreplay was marred by clumsy finger work, and she is particularly ineffective on her left side. She will need to perform with far greater accuracy than this if she ever hopes to achieve a strong finish.
6: Oh, well. It's only one person's opinion. Yeah, well, we'll just see, won't we?
1: If two can play at this game. Also, in that clip, were Sheridan Smith and Montserrat Lombard from Ashes to Ashes. Most of David Renwick's output has been shown on PBS, so keep an eye out for the series we've mentioned. They're all very much worth watching. Next week, Warren Clark. If you need a blustering, working-class hero, who are you going to call? Warren Clark, that's who. To celebrate a DVD release of Deal and Pasco next week, we'll take a look at the character actor's career. And QI is back next week. Well, hey. Yeah. We always like that.
0: So that would be H., In the H season now?
1: I guess so. Yeah. We'd like you to go visit our website, which is www.britishtvpodcast.com. And there you can find links to headlines, show notes, what's on TV this week, and an archive of our previous 48 shows. And if you have a comment or suggestion, send it to feedback at britishtvpodcast.com. We would love to hear from you. And you can also rate us on iTunes, or visit our Facebook page. Lots to watch this week. I'm going to be busy. Yeah. I'm already behind the eight ball here. I still need to watch a few shows from yesterday. i want to go take a look at this. We're talking about the devil's horror. I, Chrissy very nicely lent it to me last week, and I pounded through it over the weekend. It was great.
0: Yeah, I'm going to watch that. And I've, I've got something that is actually 10 years old. Called coming soon about a theater group, but has a lot of people on it who later became uh, favorites of mine, like David Williams, Julia Davis, Paul Kay, and some others. So I want to go.
1: I think I've seen look. that. Yeah, coming soon. Ben Miller stars in this Channel Four series that is a hilarious send-up of arty fringe acting groups. In this case, a company which gets a commission to tour Scotland and develop an abstract show. But things go awry when a big-name jazz singer is recruited into the company in order to satisfy Scottish content rules and then begins to attract a huge and unaccustomed audiences to shows that are essentially about nothing. The petty rivalries and politics behind the scenes are gloriously displayed, and I'm sure based on real incidents. So that's good. Yeah, that was a good program.
0: That is funny when they make somebody ill-suited to a project just to satisfy some labor rules. And my favorite condition of this, that was when The Young Ones was really popular in Australia. So Ben Elton and Rick Mayall went over and toured doing their stand-up, but in order to get visas to do that, they had to have an Australian as their opening act. And You're they are kidding. No, they didn't want a comedian, so they got a little folk duo and <sighs> of women so they wanted somebody as completely unlike them as possible. In any way, Ben Elton fell in love with and married one of the women who was singing as their opening act, and they're still married all these years later.
1: Oh, so that's his in fact he just moved to Australia. To Australia. Yeah, because he did Stark, which was set in Australia, and he ended up playing the lead part in that. Well,
0: he's moved there now. He only comes back to England for work, but he's located in the the whole family have moved permanently to Australia. And I know, I've known some people who worked in Australia, and they said that Ben Elton's pretty much a household name there. He does a lot of stuff wow. in Australia on TV, too. We'll
1: have to get our hands on some Australian TV. Yeah. <laughs> who knew? All right. Well, enjoy the new fall season here. Lots coming and lots more to come. That's what I'll be doing. I'm sure you will be, too. Yep. So we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. For Show 50. Bye-bye.